This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to our Fulham post-match episode, the maddeningly inconsistent Everton of the 2018-2019 campaign reared their ugly heads yet again after a 2-0 loss to an already relegated Fulham side. Really not the result that I think anyone was hoping for, but in the end, I think it's it's not unreasonable to say that it was unsurprising that this the same team that has pulled off so many wild fluctuations in form did it yet again. Alex, how are you feeling on this Sunday morning? Honestly, I'm like, I wasn't surprised, which is awful because I wish I was. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, it's even after, let's say, last week beating Arsenal, there's always a shot at seventh place, but it's always going to be a stretch. We have been in good form until now. However, is it going to be the end of end of you know the world if we do not reach seventh place? I don't think so. No, and here's the thing, like, this is the same team that has remained competitive against in matches against, I mean, we beat Arsenal, we beat Chelsea, but also earlier on in the season, tied them and, and probably deserved points against some of the top six sides as well. But then that same team will come out against relegation fodder or lower table sides and just be completely unable to, to string any kind of form together. And really what's most baffling about it all is it's not like you've got one player, one or two players who are playing really well and then maybe have an off game. It is like a collective team as a unit, as a team, the team will, they'll, they'll play unbelievably well last week against Arsenal. And then this week, there's not a single player really who I think showed that they were up for the game today. And Fulham flat out credit to, to them, to be honest, because they, from the get-go, wanted it more than us. Mitrovic up top, just bullying, absolutely bullying Jagielka and Kurt Zuma to some extent. What what was your what was your thought on Phil Jagielka getting the start? Um, I mean, there, there's no way he would have been chosen over Michael Keane if Michael Keane was, you know, fit and good to go. Um, so I would have to guess that it was due to the fact that Michael Keane was probably still not 100% or maybe he was sick most of the week, didn't get to participate in training a whole lot. Therefore, although yeah, yes, you know, he felt okay on Saturday. He wasn't going to get the start. In the end, Mitrovic made it very clear that he was going to pick on Jagielka as opposed to Zuma and probably a smart decision. And it paid dividends, unfortunately, for us. Yeah, well, Marco Silva came out in his post-match comments and he actually did say that it was a tactical decision. That's... Of course, you know what he's saying to the press, that may not be the case. Perhaps Michael Keane did have quite a long recovery and wasn't good to go for the match. But if it was, you know, you take him at face value and he says it's a tactical decision to start Phil Jagielka. It's almost hard to begrudge him. Like in hindsight, of course, everyone is like he had a pretty bad game and, and would have been smart to start Michael Keane. But I don't really disagree with the idea of if a player plays really well one match, then he probably deserves to start again. I think that that's a philosophy that most managers, you know, that's kind of common sense. You know, you you come out, you perform well, you earn yourself a spot on the side for the next game. Unfortunately, Phil, Phil Jagielka at 36 years old is past his prime. He's on a steep decline at this point. And I just, I just 
can't agree with the decision to to roll him out two games in a row. I think for the rest of his career at Everton, he's going to have to be that that bit part fill in player, and he's just not going to be a week in week out starter. Yeah, I agree with those points. You know, maybe the other piece to it is the int- intangible piece of having your skipper on the pitch, right? Jagielka's a very good leader. He's been skipper for a very long time. And so he could have been going for a bit of that, you know, leadership on the pitch as well to make sure because it's no secret that we often play down to our opponents. I mean, for a couple of years, we, you know, we've tried, barring a couple of matches, we've tried to kind of match the the tempo of a lot of the bigger teams that we play against. But then we have a hard time playing against the worst of the worst because that's just a completely different game plan. And, you know, it, it legitimately takes world-class talent to break down a lot of those sides. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And what's interesting about Fulham today is that they switched up. I believe that they normally play um, a 3-4-3. And today they switched up and pretty much matched our formation with the 4-2-3-1. And it caused us a lot of issues. We just really weren't able to to create any kind of penetration. And it is something, like you said, we tend to play down to our opposition. We play up when we play sides that really when we want to, when sides want to control the ball and control possession, it allows us to press forward and be on, you know, attacking in a defensive sense where Calvert-Lewin can be running down. Sigurdsson can be getting up in their face, cutting off passing lanes. But then when the shoe's on the other foot and, and the other side wants to give us possession, we really just seemed to not have a ton of ideas going forward with the ball. And it was really frustrating to watch just the inability to to provide any type of service. I mean, Calvert-Lewin, of course, had that unbelievably good chance to score and should have slotted that home. But at, at the end of the match, you're looking at one shot on target, and that's just not good enough against a side that's been relegated. And there is something to be said for a side that now has no pressure on them whatsoever, can kind of just play freely They've had this, I mean, their defensive record is atrocious. They've conceded like 75, 76 goals this year, but they pretty much bossed us all game, both, you know, defensively, we couldn't really get much, couldn't really do a lot to stop them. Mitrovic had his way, Ryan Babel on the wing with the goal. It was just, it was, and then of course, Kearney scores for the first time in like 10 years. And his last goal when he was playing for Hall was against Everton as well. So just all around a very Everton performance. Yeah, I mean, when when the uh, when the announcer said on NBCSN that Fulham had lost, it was right at the beginning of the second half. Fulham has lost nine matches in a row. And then I am not kidding when I say 10 seconds later, they score the opening goal. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm like furious, but I kind of laughed a little bit because it's like, okay, you just knew it. <laughs> like you, you just, just yeah. it was, it was set up too well to think that, you know, we came out, started the second half slow. I, I mean, they scored 45 seconds into the second half. So we really just never switched on. It was set up brilliantly with, with the fact that they lost nine matches in a row. And here we are conceding and going down and then came another damning statistic from the uh, from the commentators saying that we have yet to win a match in which we had conceded first. So from there, it was set in stone. Yeah, and it goes back to just anyone who's watched Everton multiple times a season or watched us all season. You know, consistency is the number one issue. And I think 
a lot of fans become frustrated thinking, why can't we just find that consistency? But consistency is what sets the mediocre teams away from the great teams. The teams that are at competing for the top four, for, for the title, those teams play at a similar level week in, week out, regardless of the opposition. And it's not something that's easy to do. You look at, you know, this is just kind of an analogy, but like played basketball my whole life. I can hit a three-pointer, whatever, 25, 30% of the time. But if I go up against Steph Curry, who's just going to drain 90%, like he's much more consistent. If we were to take one shot each, I might make one and he might miss it. But over time, that plays out just the law of averages going to make more than me. And and that's the issue that Everton are running into is just that inconsistency. Can't string multiple good performances together or, you know, over the run of a month, we might have two good performances, two terrible performances, but the fluctuation is what's just so frustrating. Like off of the back of the best win of Marco Silva's reign comes arguably probably top three losses, if not the worst loss. I would say the Millwall loss is worse and maybe the Newcastle one as well. But this is up there. It's up there. And you know what? I don't think that Marco Silva really takes any of the blame, which is funny. Uh, You go on Twitter and you just see all the Everton fans. They went from, uh, you know, worshiping him three times a day to uh, to essentially just wanting to burn him at the stake. And I don't think that this has anything to do with him, if I'm going to be honest, because you can't, you know, you can't applaud his his tactical um, detailed tactical setup right against teams like Chelsea against teams like Arsenal and then apply some mindset that says oh he just didn't set up right or he didn't he didn't do his research and wasn't ready for Fulham like that's just not true it has to do with the fact that the players didn't bring the energy or the right attitude and and it showed but the confusing thing is the fact that the lineup was unchanged so you you should have had no disjointedness um, in terms of in terms of link up play, and that's just it's it has to do with the intangibles of of mindset and consistency, as you said, and just kind of being able to grow as a squad. I think that's absolutely accurate. I want to give you a little stat here, Alex. I love stats. I know you're a big fan. <laughs> Loves the stats. This one is pretty damning as far as you know your point to the players on the pitch not executing the game plan. So possession was roughly 60-40 in favor of us. Fulham had 343 total passes. We had 496. But Fulham's front four of Mitrovic, Kearney, Babel, and Sessegnon had 160 total passes, whereas Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Sigurdsson, and Bernard had a combined 83. So our front four had half of the passes as their front four, despite us having 150 more passes total. And that's, you know, a lot of numbers thrown at you, but the gist of it is our front four was just completely uninvolved and they were able to get their forward players into the game. Yeah, that's, it's actually mind blowing, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that out, we weren't able to play through the midfield, right? They actually did start in that three, four, three. And then in at halftime, they switched to the four, two, three, one, and that's kind of how they undid us a bit. But I think they kind of clogged the midfield, which a lot of teams have done before, because we don't have a very tall squad. And so we had to try to play direct, and, and it just didn't always work. On top of that, Sigurdsson really didn't have a good game at all. I believe he was the first substituted. So 
it just it comes down to the fact that I guess maybe this underlines the importance of the fact that you know we need to continue we need we need our midfield involved in order to play well because we look at Chelsea and Arsenal and we talked I mean our main plot it's were for our midfield three and I think in hindsight that just shows how important they are yeah and and anyone you know that's very you know an an almost obvious thing to say but then you see it play out and it it becomes so apparent and honestly I thought that Adrisa Gay had an RA game I was actually I've been increasingly impressed with his willingness to to spray the ball around the field more over the last couple games. I think that's attributed to to Gomez allowing him a little more to play a little more freely. But yeah, it was just we never were able to find spaces to link up very well. We did have some good link up between Bernard and Luca Dean on the right, and I actually thought Bernard had an okay game. But again, no one really. I thought Coleman had a poor game. I thought that Calvert-Lewin really should have scored and and done more. He had a couple other really good chances. That diving header that he just missed probably should have finished. It's just at this point, we've got four games left, I believe. And there's really, it won't surprise me what team shows up week in, week out. If If you're shocked at this point, I mean, we could batter Manchester United and then lose to Crystal Palace, lose to Burnley, and maybe show up against Spurs in the last game of the season. Like, the inconsistency is our calling card this year. And so it's just about finishing the year. I think we've seen what this team can be at their best and can be at their worst. And we haven't really had a lot of like mediocre performances. It's been a lot of wild fluctuation between extremes. And maybe we can just find some sort of middle ground or like start to reach that higher level to give some fans some encouragement. But I'm not having any of the Silva out. And I, I think that generally we're past this, but just the 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 form of the team also trickles down to the fans where you have the wild fluctuations and like you said, praying to Marco Silva, worshiping him one week and then calling for his head the next. So let's switch gears a little bit, kind of somewhat off topic, but let's talk about Mitrovic. We have been linked with him, right? Like all season, people have been talking about, oh, should Dominic Calvert-Lewin be our starting striker or be in content- contention for our, to be our starting striker next season? Um, after the performance Mitrovic gave yesterday. Would you like us to sign Mitrovic if if it's, you know, just a decent fee, not anything crazy? Well, I think the issue is they're going to be looking for that type of significant fee. It, it was actually, it's an interesting conversation because honestly, I don't think that he does a lot of the things that Marco Silva wants his strikers to do. He's very much a out and out target man. I don't think I don't think he has the agility or the speed to like run into the channels the way that Calvert Lewin does. That being said, like objectively obliterated us yesterday, despite not scoring. Had a couple had a really nice shot that hit the crossbar. Had a lot of just really nice hold up play. But at face value, I think we can do better than than Mitrovic. To be honest, he could be a serviceable backup, but. He really just strikes me as like more of the Chenktosin type of striker than the type of striker that will thrive in a Marco Silva system. I don't know. Well, that's fair to say. Um, I will say that Silva did say in an interview maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, that when your first team has three strikers on the books, he doesn't want the same type of striker, you know, across the board. 
And, you know, so he was talking about the fact that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is different from Jank Tosin. Um, obviously, if, if you want to if you want to bring Nias into that, <laughs> he's completely different from those two. Play style, Don't right? Don't disrespect the guy. Hey, I'm talking about play style here. <laughs> so he is different from Calvert-Lewin. Um, I think he could be good. I don't know. The commentators on NBCSN were fawning over him, talking about how he could be that piece that Everton or any other team needs to break into the top six. They said that they think he is that good. Yeah, I've learned just to not really trust much of what the NBC sports uh, commentators say (laughs) and trust their judgment on a lot of things. There was a, I can't remember who it was. There was, oh, it was Richarlison went in for a tackle and was really mad about the decision to give a foul. And the announcers were like, Oh, that's a clear foul. That's a clear foul. And then upon replay, you can see he didn't like, touch him. He barely didn't touch him. Yeah. Barely touched him, if anything. And because they had already come out so vehemently in favor of the foul, they couldn't. They were trying to like casually walk it back. It's like you don't know what you're talking about. You can't make that snap judgment. And so, getting off track a little bit, but yeah, as far as Mitrovic goes, like I would, I would be okay with signing him. I just don't think that we're going to get a good deal on him because anytime you buy from, despite you know they're getting relegated, so they are going to have to have kind of a fire sale of their players as is, as is kind of how that tends to go. But there are going to be other suitors. I think that a club like West Ham or even maybe like Leicester or you know those other sides around us, I think are more likely to go for him um, and pay the inflated price tag that he'll inevitably come with. And I just think like he doesn't, does he fit the Marcel Brands profile for, for a transfer? It doesn't seem like that's the, that's the direction he really wants to go with like buying within the Premier League. Yeah, that could be true as well. So another little bit here, I believe it was the Toffee Blues on Instagram commented on something related to Andre Gomez and tagged him and said, you need to sign the contract. And Andre Gomez liked the comment. That sounds really stupid saying it aloud, but <laughs> but my point is, does that excite you? It does. It makes me, I, I think we've done a good job. Like the club have done a great job of showing him that he's wanted. The fans love him. I love him. I think he'd be a fantastic long-term signing and something that I think everyone at the club is in unanimous agreement that we want to get the deal done. We can say it over and over again. We can say it till we're blue in the face and nothing will change until the season's up and we have to negotiate with Barcelona. What worries me is that due to his the class that he's shown this season, there will be other suitors who will come in and they will try to outbid us. And that's where the complication, the wrench gets thrown in. Because as much as Andre Gomez might love Everton and want to play for us and play for Marco Silva, he's a professional player and he wants money. And... I saw some rumors linking us, linking him with Spurs, linking him with clubs in Italy. And we have the money and the financial clout to throw it around. And we also have a good relationship with Barcelona over the last couple of years due to Marcel Brand's connections there. It just becomes a question of of who's going to outbid who. And if I know anything about soccer, it's that the agents are greedy AF <laughs> and they they're going to he's going to do whatever he can to get the most money for his client and and by proxy himself. And so that's really what concerns me. I think that face value, Andre Gomez wants to sign. We want him. We'll get it done. I don't know. Where are you at on that? I mean, it is a good thing to have him like a social media comment, but <laughs> it was also like deleted after. He also unliked it. So oh, I don't know. He? Maybe he was backtracking. Yeah, I think so. No, that was probably just the fact that <laughs> he 
felt he showed too much of his hand. But uh, yeah, of course. I mean, it makes me excited because, you know, all of that stuff is very calculated. Like if someone makes a funny comment to you about, you know, your job on social media or something like that. I mean, you're only going to interact with it if you thought that it's funny or applicable or something like that. So I think it's exciting. I don't think it's any secret that people over such as the club, um, Andre Gomez, they want him here. He wants to be here. And I know that they're already in talks with Barcelona. So we'll see what happens. But I think everyone wants him here. If if you don't want him here, then kick rocks because you don't know anything. But uh, correct. Nonetheless, we hopefully have next Sunday to look forward to against Manchester United. Nice and early here on the East Coast. Um, We will absolutely have a pre-match for you. We apologize for not having one this week. It is unlike us, but we were both very busy and actually displaced from our usual humble abodes. Isn't that right, James? Yeah, I was traveling in Kentucky uh, on work this week. It was a pretty cool business trip. Met some execs, you know, rubbed some elbows with some higher ups and made, did some networking, which was good. But, you know, there's nothing I love more than sitting down and, and chatting Everton with you, Alex. So I was really distraught that we weren't able to record. But thankfully, we weren't able to make fools of ourselves with ridiculous. I'm sure we both would have predicted a thumping win and would have had to backtrack significantly here today. So saved ourselves that little bit of embarrassment. Well, see, I, I did actually go on the Mostly Soccer podcast with Mike and Jimmy, and we did predict predictions, and I believe we all predicted an Everton win. I think some of us predicted 2-0. Uh, maybe someone else predicted 2-1. And I did actually tell them that if Everton were to lose to Fulham, then they can invite us on the show this coming week and roast us because it would be deserved. So although we weren't able to make ourselves look like idiots on our own show, (laughs) I did it for us on their show. It's much appreciated. Well, it's really just crazy. Every time we get our hopes up and like get back into a position where we feel like we're in a good spot, they just pull the rug out from under us and we come out and just play like absolute garbage. So I'm going to lean towards caution for the rest of the year. I've learned my lesson with predictions. I still feel like the pendulum could swing the other way and we could see a top form Everton next week against Manchester United at home. Get the sirens out, get everyone buzzing and put in a shift. But I don't know how I'm going to react in our predictions midweek. But you guys should definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, And and we'll, we'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.